Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. This is your host, Amanda G. We're like the Backstreet Boys. Oh my God, we're back again. We're here. We have such an amazing episode for y'all. We got Keto with a Q, New Orleans stand-up comedian. She does it all. She does poetry. She does drag. She brings the funny everywhere she goes. We're so happy to have her. So happy to be doing this episode. Thank y'all so much for always tuning in and supporting us. Without further ado... I've always wanted to say that. Without further ado, here's Keto with a Q. You go by Keto with a Q. Mm-hmm. That's your stage name. Yeah. Your real name is Shakita, which is how people can find you on Facebook. Keto, you spell it K-E-E-D-A, and then you say Keto with a Q. And I know a lot of, like, I've seen you do a lot of shows, and people get freaking confused as fuck. And I kind of love it. Like, I love because you always do your own thing. And I enjoyed that. But, like, how did you decide that that was going to be your stage name? Yeah. So, everybody always fucks my name up. So, since I was younger, I go by Kita. Like, that's been, like, my family childhood name. And every time somebody sees it spelled out, they call me Quita or Quita because <laughs> that's what it looks like. So, I was playing around with, like, stage names when I first got started. And I was trying to tell somebody what my name was on my phone. And it kept saying, quota G. <laughs> so for a second, when I was doing poetry, I was, quote, a G. Because iPhone just kept correcting my name to, quote, a G. And then I was like, I have to give these people instructions on how to pronounce my name with my name. So that's when I just started saying <laughs> K-E-E-D-A because it was just easier. It was just like, you know what? And people will call me whatever I ask them to call me. But as soon as they see it on paper, they're like, Quita. I'm like, you know my mother. Yeah. Like, you know that's not my name. So I just was explaining it in the name, and it just kind of stuck. I love every time I I announce that, and they look at your name on the paper, and then they're like, but but, but there's no Q in Kita. And I was like, is that some sort of inside joke? Is that... It was in a a time of the 80s. The SHAs were big, and like the SHA hard K sound. So the Keelas, the Kitas, the Keishas, Shah, Keisha, Shakila, Shakita. Like, that was really, really big. So, my siblings are Erica, Ashley, Jermaine, Christopher, Keith, and Shakita. Because <laughs> she just was, like, right in that sweet spot for a second. But everybody else got normal, regular names. And she was just like, I want to name her Little Jacket in Spanish. <laughs> it means Little Jacket. Little Jacket. I don't know if she looked that up beforehand. <laughs> I don't think so either. I think, like, I like I think she was just trying to be different. I think she was just trying to be different. And she ended up being the same. 
Because yeah. I was in a class with a lot of girls <laughs> with that name. <laughs> so you had to stand out. Yeah, but my, they're all spelled so differently, but they're the same name, essentially. Yeah. And you're from Milwaukee, right? Yes. Born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Beer and cheese. Is that like a real thing? And like cold. you grew up with like the, the uh, what do they wear, the cheese hats? Yeah, I grew up probably just a few blocks from like the Miller Brewery. So like beer is huge. The cheese head hats are huge. That's more like, of course, that's like football and stuff, but like. Cheese is real, like the state fair, like you can find like beer cheese and cheese filled beer and like frozen beer. Like it's really like a real, like New Orleans with shrimp. Yeah. It's like, that's how it is with cheese. I've never been to Milwaukee, but I've been to that region of the country and I think I ate so many cheese curds like that I was very ill for like, I... I regretted most of them. Yes. <laughs> um, but I had never, ha- I'd never seen cheese so curds. Delicious. I didn't know what it was. They all squeaky. Yeah, it's fried mm. cheese. I was like, why don't we make this everywhere? And it's, like, and it's the part of the cheese that is usually considered trash. You know what I'm saying? It's like the curd once it separates from the whey. When I was in school, we literally went to a dairy farm. We churned our own butter. We made ice cream. It was like a regular thing that we did. That's why I was like, oh, I know how to make butter. It looks hard, though. It's not. It's it's hard <laughs> it's if you're like, churning yeah. it. Yeah. But if you put it in a glass jar and shake it, that's the same thing as churning okay. it. They always show, like, all the movies with Amish people. They're always, like, churning for, like, three days straight. And I was like, no thanks. That's because they like to do everything <sighs> old school. But, like, we were in school in second grade. And they gave us heavy whipping cream, some salt. And I think a little bit of oil. And we like shook this baby food jar until it was butter. And okay. we were so proud. I was like, why y'all teaching you, these yeah. kids to make butter? What did you do in school? I shook some things in a jar and they made butter. Yeah. It's like, did you learn math though? No. I learned that if I put half the cream in a teaspoon of salt, I can make butter. Yeah, so I'm obsessed with dairy. And I'm lactose intolerant. It's really not fair at all. And it's, it's so wild because I'm like, why was I born in Wisconsin? Like, I, I shouldn't eat any of it. Our dessert is a, a cream puff. The national dessert is a cream puff. I despise cream puffs because the cream ain't actually sweet. But, like, it's, like, this big thing. Like, it's huge. Maybe you weren't meant to be in Milwaukee. Right. It was like, get out of here. <laughs> you need to go. At least be warm if you're going to, like, drink milk. How long were you in Milwaukee for? I stayed in Milwaukee for my first 25 years of life. But that was kind of off and on. I had my family. My mom moved to Ohio when I was 17. So when I was like 21, I went and stayed in Ohio for a while. But it was like Painesville, Ohio. Very slow, podunk kind of town. And I'm only from Milwaukee. So if I think it's (laughs) slow, it's pretty standstill. So I stayed there for a little bit. And I moved to Madison, Wisconsin for a while. Then back to Milwaukee because I got married and it didn't work out. So back to Milwaukee I went. And I've been here six years. So probably out of my whole life I lived in Milwaukee probably 30, 28 years total. So you're 17. You're still in high school when your mom moved? It was probably a couple of days after graduation. And she was like, I'm moving. (laughs) I was like, what? I'm supposed to live here. (laughs) No, I'm supposed to live here. I'm I'm grown now. I'm out of school. I'm supposed to stay with you and like get on your nerves and like come in late drunk. And you're supposed to explain to me how I'm an adult now and I need to grow up. No, she was like, I'm out of here. And she left. So I went to Ohio for a little bit with them just because I miss my family. But like it wasn't. It wasn't for me at all. My Some of my siblings still live there. Like, my mom moved back to Milwaukee. 
That's what's it near? Suck. What Cleveland? Okay, it's probably like an hour or so outside of Cleveland. Okay, so you have to drive an hour to get to Cleveland. Which is like the big city. (laughs) Yeah, that's where we used to go to like clubs and different stuff. It was like you, everybody load up the car, y'all get everything y'all about to get, and now y'all drunk driving an hour back. It's terrible. Cleveland already ain't my city of choice. So a smaller town on the side of it, terrible. So Milwaukee, you went to Ohio for a bit. You're like, I'm going to go back to Milwaukee. Were you performing? Were you working? Were you in school? Were you just uh, yeah, so hanging I was out? In, I was in school and I was working at a gas station, which was really, really fun. I never thought working at a gas station would be fun. But like, I was the only like clerk person. So it was like a box situation. It wasn't like people come in and buy things. They just come to the window. And like, I, it was a small, small town. So like I knew everybody mm-hmm. was like, this is the coolest job. And I was going to school again for my third attempt. And school just suck. Like, I really, I, I'm so excited at first. Like, I love learning new stuff. But then I'm like, this is actually a racket. Like, because I'm not really learning anything that I need right now. And I can't pay my rent with this. So I'm going to go hand it back out. So I dropped out of school for the third time. And then I moved back to Milwaukee. The first time I dropped out of school, I was 19. And I was pretending to my mom that I was still in school. I was staying with a family friend at the time that she like left me with to be responsible for me. But she didn't care that I wasn't going to school. She knew. But I came home and my mom was sitting in the kitchen. She like, surprise, I can't believe you. And the next day, she's like, don't you got class? <laughs> and I was just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'd quit. I party way too much. I was going to tell you, but I was going to wait till you were here in person. And <laughs> I was waiting for you to come here so I can tell you. But she was just like, it's your wife. Like She was like, but it's kind of childish that you hide now. No, she's your mom. That's, she's got to say some mom shit. Like They can't just let you make, you know, they're like, you're an adult, you can do what you want, but... I do mother. have thoughts yeah. about it. <laughs> some opinions, and I'm not going to be shy about them. At all. Like, probably a little, swinging a little too hard. It's like, okay, I get you're the parent. But, like, I'm going to know. Your parenting is actually done. If you couldn't get me, and you got me enrolled in school, that's all you needed to do. Now your job is done. But, yeah, so I wasn't I wasn't doing um, any kind of performance stuff yet. I was, like, trying out for, like, plays and stuff. I was just kind of discovering... Well, I'm an Aries anyways, so I I already like attention. So I knew that I liked attention, but I didn't know that I enjoyed, like, the arts. So I was supposed to be Sojourner Truth in the people's history. And it ended up being racist as fuck. Really? <laughs> racist as fuck. So it was only two brown people in the whole play. So they had white people playing brown people parts. Oof. Which is okay. Is it, it wasn't. It wasn't even. It wasn't even that. It was like, okay, we need people to play these parts. Okay, it was the shit that they was bringing to portray the part. So it's like this white woman was like, yeah, I got some new moccasins because I'm about to play this like tribal person, and I want to really get. And then it started fucking with me. I started being like, I can't with y'all. <laughs> like, I can't do this. Yeah. And um, a friend of mine who's an indigenous person had some problems with, like, some rehearsal shit that they saw. And I didn't really know a lot about it, but I support the fuck out of my friends. So I was just like, if you are saying that this is hurtful and it's fucked up, brought it to the team, they're like, it's too late. You right, this is fucked up, but it's too late for us to change it. And so I completely pulled off the show. Like, why you can't change it? Like, yeah. I don't understand. Like, I'm bringing something to your attention. And you're like, yeah, that is fucked <laughs> up. 
but we're not changing it. So if you could just shut the fuck up, that'd be nice. Yeah, no. And so I pulled out completely. So I didn't get that experience, but I did all the rehearsals and all of the shit. So I was like, the bug was there. Like I had been bitten already. I'm just like, I'm fucking obsessed with this. And I've always been a character, like my whole life. Like being funny has gotten me through all of the hard things. And I hate serious situations. So anytime some shit is too serious, I'm cracking a joke. I'm making it like I'm trying to like make people smile and laugh. Sometimes very inappropriately. So <laughs> I feel like I do that too because I'm just like, okay, this whatever serious thing happened, happened. It happened in the past. We have to move forward. We have to figure out a way to move forward, whatever that looks like. And to me, laughter doesn't hurt. That shit helps. That is, it's medicine. Like, I've always, like, me and my siblings, so there are, I have six siblings, three sisters, three brothers, and then I have three stepbrothers. So, we were just always, like, roasting. Like, when you broke, comedy is the only thing you can afford, really. Like, laughter is the only thing that's, like, just so fucking valuable. So, we used to just all, like, sit around talk shit watch martin watch living single watch so i was always like obsessed with like people's ability to just like use humor to smack somebody to uplift somebody like it was always like so nuanced and i was like fucking with that i was like i want to do something like that but i was always so scared i was just like what if i'm not good what if people don't receive it what if it don't go nowhere? Then I'm just going to be like, this is something I did. I'm going to be devastated. But I don't regret it. I don't regret it. Now I've even branched out doing drag shit. Like, I was a drag king not too long ago. Like, I never imagined that I would be like, I don't know. What was your first stand-up experience? Like, what led up to that? I know, you know, because sitting around with your family is one thing. Cracking jokes with your family, with people that know you, with people you know. It's different getting up on stage. Yeah, it is. So my first time getting up on stage was like poetry shit. So I've always felt safe with words. Like I'm really, really good with words. Like I love to read. I love to write. So poetry was like my gateway drug. <laughs> so I got up on the stage. So I was no longer afraid of being up in front of the audience. Like I'm like, cool. And I always just loved art that you share. Like your own personal gift that you don't have to share with nobody else. And people being brave enough to like share that with us. So I always fuck with that from singing, poetry, whatever. Like any kind of art you can share. I'm like, I'm fucking with that. But I was at Three Poems, and they had, like, an open mic at the time. Word connections, it was. And people went around. I did some poetry. They did the whole thing. And the host was like, anybody want to do some comedy? We ain't had nobody do comedy around here in a while. And I had never done comedy in my life. And I was like, I want to do comedy. Because probably three months before, I told all my friends, I'm going to try comedy. I was like, I want to be a stand-up comedian. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know nothing about the scene. But I'm doing this shit. So when I raised my hand, everybody was like, oh, shit. Like, she about to do it. (laughs) And I did a 10-minute set, never, ever having done comedy in my whole life. Nonstop laughter the whole time. I was done. I was like, this (laughs) is what I'm doing. I tell people sometimes, I'm like, some people skydive for that adrenaline rush. I get up on stage with a microphone. It's safer. (laughs) (laughs) Depending. Yeah, that's all like, you know. (laughs) It's getting a little less. Statistically, it's safer for now. My first open mic that I ever went to was Beer With Me. So I used to hit that spot every single Monday. That was the only place I knew in the city. And then I met Shep. And she saw my set. And when I came outside, she was like, stop stepping on your laps. I had no idea what that meant. Like, I was only doing comedy for just a short time. And she saw I looked confused. And she was like, when you say your punchline, pause. Let them laugh. 
like they was cracking up and you were stepping on your laps. And I was like, oh, that makes yeah. sense. Like I'm talking too fast. I'm not allowing the audience to like do it. And then Shep was like, you know, you can hit multiple open mics in the city. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> on one night. <laughs> yeah. Cause they were leaving from there. Like her and a group of folks were leaving from there and going to another mic. And I don't know why that blew my mind. I was like, oh shit. Like we can go from here to there to yeah. there. And then somebody's like, are you serious about this shit? Like, you really want to do comedy? I was like, yeah, like, this is it for me. Like, I'm fucking with comedy. And it was like, well, you're probably not going to get paid for a while. You're not going to be making any money. And probably like two weeks later, somebody booked me. And I got paid for the first time to do comedy. (laughs) And it wasn't a million bucks, but it was just like, first of all, ain't nobody at their jobs making $10 a minute. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, y'all not, like, if I, if I really, if this was consistent, I'll be rich. But like, it's just that cause it's so little. But they was like, you won't get paid yet. You won't get into any comedy festivals. In my first year, I got into a comedy festival. Within the first few months, I was making money. I was just like, maybe that's your story. It's so cool though. When someone, like, the first time you get paid, I think my first show, I got like $15, but I was just like, oh, you value me. Yes. It feels like something. It yeah. feels like paying for my brain power. At least buy me a couple drinks. Yeah, that's what I always say. I'm like, it's something that I thought in my head that I maybe wrote on a piece of paper that I said out of my mouth that you somehow connected with. And sometimes so much that you're talking to me for an hour after my set, which is cool. You know, I I like connecting with people and it's such a cool way to do that. Oh, I'm so, I'm so obsessed. Like, and there's so much comedy that I love, but I'm realizing I'm such a critic. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of it I keep to myself. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, well, like let's it. talk some shit. Don't but like, this is the place to do it. I'll be so pissed off when I feel like people are not talking about their own experiences. I think that's why I connect to my comedy so much because I'm like, this shit is all me. Like, it's all things that I've witnessed, experienced, felt, dealt with, thought about, went to the doctor, some shit went down. Mm-hmm. This is another story that's like added, but like, you can almost feel. When people not being real, when they not being a hundred, like you can just tell, like that sound like you laughing at somebody else and not like you using your experience to connect with people. Not that any new comics ask my opinion, but I, I offer it to them anyway. But I, you know, I'm like everything, it's a, it has to have a basis in truth somewhere. There has to be the, what I call a nugget, a nugget of truth. But if it doesn't come, maybe the experience doesn't happen exactly the way you say it on stage. But something in it has to be true or you're not going to, you do lose the audience. And you can tell when people are just making shit up off the top of their head. And you can tell when it's not something they even really believe in, where they're just like, oh, everyone hates Trump, so I should make jokes about Trump. But maybe they love Trump. And that's their prerogative, but don't make jokes about it because it's not real to you. It's not. I can even feel when I'm being inauthentic. You know what I'm saying? The, The audience is damn near like a mirror. You know what I'm saying? Like I can feel the energy rise and fall when somebody feels like they really related to me. Like I was doing a joke, I I talk about being fat all the time. And one, it's like, people are always want to reassure me that I'm not fat. And I always tell them like, that's just your fat phobia talk because you think it's a bad thing if I say I'm fat. But I'm actually just stating a fact. Like I'm a fat person. (laughs) And that's Mm -hmm. fine. Like I'm not saying that that makes me good or bad or anything. Like I'm just saying. So for you to try to rescue me from myself is always a little weird. But there was a woman in the audience and I was determined to make her laugh. I could see her the best out of everyone. And she was not fucking with my set. Like at all. And when I got off the stage, she was like, it took her everything in her not to cry at my set. And I was just like, 
It wasn't fun. It wasn't funny. And she was like, just as a fat person, you were speaking a lot of my truth. She was like, in a way that was humorous. She was like, but it touched me in a different way. She was like, so I really appreciate you getting up there, being visible, showing yourself, being brave. She was like, even you having a crop top out on on stage was like, damn, like this fat lady got on a crop top. Like I could wear a crop top. So sometimes comedy ain't just the laugh. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like sometimes it's also like some healing yeah. that happens in there to be like, she can laugh at herself. You know what I'm saying? Like she can make these jokes and she don't feel ashamed that she got a fupa. Like she pointed out and make sure everybody sees it. <laughs> like that's really, really cool. But that was like one of the moments where I was just like, this ain't just about being funny. Yeah, and I, I say that a lot about being queer because, like, pretty much every set I have, I mention being queer. And I think part of it is, like, I did spend so much time in the closet <laughs> that it's important for me to be visible to other people. And I've had people, I've had straight people come up and be like, my brother just told me he's gay and, you know, here's all the things my family went through and it's really cool that you can get up on stage and do that. And I've had some people be like, I'm queer and I don't really tell people, you know, it's, so it's like it lets people know that you are who you are and you're okay with that. And if they identify with that part of you that maybe they're not okay with, seeing you is inspirational in a way. It's like letting people know you can just be you and it's okay. And look at me, I'm doing it and I'm fucking happy as shit. And especially like for the younger queers, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? As a person who identifies queer, like sometimes our stories don't end well. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we don't make it to where we even are. So for like a younger person to see us out here living our truth, doing our shit, happy, healthy, whatever the hell, it just gives you hope that like, I'm going to be fine. Like I could be fine. Like all these tragic stories of like how queer folks lives end and shit. Clearly that's not the whole story. And so to be able to see like the other part of it is like, if you could do that shit, I could probably do it. Or even if it's not them getting on a stage, it's, pushing forward to do something that they want to do that they thought that they couldn't. Yeah, because I'm on stage shouting jokes about being a carpet muncher. Like, and like, if she could get up there to strangers in a whole room and, and say all this stuff and nobody's, you know, they're applauding, they're laughing, nobody's coming after, nobody's doing anything, maybe, you know, they could tell their, their best friend or their crush or their parents or, or they're not, maybe they haven't told yet or are, yeah. are trying to get up the courage to do that. So, like, yeah, it can be that. And sometimes it's just you said something funny and they're like, I never thought of that. And I love those moments. And they're like, I didn't think about it that way. And I'm just like, yeah. And we give them ammo sometimes. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Against the straights. Like, because (laughs) sometimes you don't even know how to respond to some of the shit that, Mm -hmm. like, people say or that people do. So, like, you know, I ain't saying it's the whole blueprint, but it's a blueprint. Like, it's a tool in the (laughs) toolbox that you could probably use. And sometimes humor, one, it can lighten the mood, but two, it can also infiltrate a part that's sometimes just talking or... When you're trying to hit somebody heartstring, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. just going straight at it don't work. But, like, sometimes a joke is like a sneak attack. They don't even know that you're addressing whatever that thing is because it's so light and it's so funny. Like, one of my coming out jokes is, like, I'm, I'm talking about drinking alcohol. And then the end of it, it's like, well, I'm a lesbian. And it's like, how the fuck did that happen? Like, how do we make that connection? But it's like, there it is, you know, surprise. <laughs> I don't know if you know. I, yeah, I do love, like, you have a joke where... Yeah, it's you'll say, um, you'll say you're fat, and someone will say like, no, but you're so beautiful. Like I said, fat, not <laughs> ugly. It's just so interesting the way like because yeah, it's people do say that kind of shit all the time. Like I've had, I've oh, you know, you, you gained a little weight, but you have such a pretty face, and it's like, what the fuck? Nobody asked what. <laughs> 
Nobody asked me. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think people commenting on people people's bodies is hilarious because it's like one, who the fuck asked you, and two, like what authority have you given yourself to be like this person needs to know my opinion on their fucking body, like. Because it's affecting me so much that I need to come over and talk to you about it. But, like, the way that people, and especially, like, black folks for me, the way that they, like, applaud you if you're losing weight or, you know, side-eye you, like, if you're gaining weight. And I'm more of a person who I applaud your body goals, like, whatever it is. I'm just happy if you're happy with whatever you're doing with your body. Because I had a friend who lost some weight and everybody's like, oh, my God, you're looking great. And she was sick as hell. Like, it was the most unhealthiest that she's been in her fucking life. And she's like, and people are just like, you look so good. And she was like, just the thoughts of feeling good about what they were saying, knowing that this is not sustainable, like, for you. But people will laugh at you quicker than they will, like, laugh with you. When I say I'm a fat hoe, people are like, oh, my God. Like, they're feeling bad. They want to give me a hug and shit. But if Kevin Hart is like, look at this fat ass hoe, then y'all all laughing. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. at least let me get some joy from my own experience and, like, not creating a, a thing where y'all are, like, doing something against me. But, like, doing something with me. Like, yeah. if I talk about my experiences and be like, oh, my fucking teeth fell out, then everybody's feeling bad and feeling sorry. But if somebody on TikTok is like, look at this toothless bitch, then it's millions of laugh reactions. And it's just like... You're uh, taking ownership. And you're, you know, you're having fun with it. Because you put it out there and then you wait. Kinda, I see you kind of looking around. Let me see. It's, a, it's also a great gauge. Right? Because a lot of people who are any of the isms, you know, any of the is. They usually are all of them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, usually you don't find a racist. They probably ain't fat phobic. They probably ain't homophobic. They probably ain't classist. They're usually pretty, pretty tight wound. So if I get to say anything about abortions or anything about being poor, I know where to go with my set from there. So if they laugh or they respond well, then I'll go this way. If they don't, then I'm like, Hmm, I'm about to fuck with them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because clearly they got some feelings and yeah. some tensions like caught up in it. And you only got like 30 seconds <laughs> yeah. to figure that yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so and the psychology behind it is, uh, it, it's really interesting. And I know too, like, um, and, and I'm going to ask this question. This is how we always ask it on the podcast. Is This is a coming out question, but we ask it as a layered question. So you can answer one piece at a time or however, because I'm going to throw a lot of things at you right now. When did you come out to yourself? When did you start coming out to other family and friends? And then when did you start coming out on stage, if that was different? Okay, so I've known that I was gay or queer or whatever, that I liked women when I was probably like four years old. Like as long as I can remember. As long as a young person starts to like someone, like whatever age that is, like adolescence. And I remember in kindergarten, I had a crush on my teacher. Like I talk about that a little bit. She had these teacher pants and she had a fat OS. And even though I didn't really understand it, I want to be around her all the time. I want to hold her hand when we went to lunch. Like I just like love this lady. And it was bubbling in me already. And so like in my early elementary Like, middle school years, I kissed a lot of girls, like, secretly teaching other girls how to kiss. 
kind of thing because that was like an acceptable way of like being gay a little especially yeah yeah you can be gay a little <laughs> you know what i'm saying like you got to be trying to learn to kiss boys though but you can use girls to learn but your goal has to be wanting to kiss boys but i like seek like was like secretly queer like forever and then i was turning 21 and I wanted to have a birthday party. I was like dating this girl. And I wanted to have like women strippers there. But some of my family was going to be there. And I was just really, really scared to be like, if they come and they see like girls dancing on me, they're going to think it's against my will. Like my sister's going to be trying to fight. Like it's going to be crazy. And so I call my mom and I'm like, it's going to be male and female strippers at this party. And she was like, okay. And I was like, and I want the girl to dance on me. <laughs> I was like, and I want this. <laughs> and I was like, and I'm gay. And so she was just like, whatever, you know. And uh, my cousin came over really, really close. She's a bunch older than me, probably seven, eight years older than me. So I really respect her opinion. And she was hanging with me because I, at the time she called me like a young hoe. Like, so I was still just like 22, but like. When somebody's 30 and you 22, they feel like you like a baby. You can get mm-hmm. their party popping and all of that shit. But we were going out to dinner and I came out to her and we got into a car accident. And she told me, she was like, you're too pretty. Uh, you you need to get married. Like, you need to have kids. Like, all that shit is off the table if I'm queer. Like, I, I'm too cute. I'm about to get an ugly woman and not have no kids <laughs> and all of this shit. And I just remember being like, fuck her. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, my favorite fucking cousin. And I'm like, actually, like, you don't respect me. Like, you don't fucking get it. Like, everybody's like, it's a phase. You're not serious. And, you know, when I was 24, like, I married a woman. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just like, it's a long ass phase uh, first. But, like, so I always knew that I was queer. And although my family is not, like, a not supportive family, Mm -hmm. like, so my mom's like, I was never. And I'm like... You weren't, like, you know, out in the street holding up signs and saying gay is wrong, but, like, behind closed doors in your own home, sometimes you said shit that was fucked up. And she was just like, damn, like, I can't even believe you remember that shit. And I'm like, because I know that I was feeling those feelings. I was having those thoughts. And it was very clear that, like, although we love people who are queer, that's not something we want to be. You know what I mean? It's like, we support them weird not so it was like oh, hey ma i'm gay and that's why i waited till i moved into my own house because i had witnessed so many horrible experiences of like friends of being like put out beat up sent to mental health facilities like you know what i'm saying like all kind of shit that i was like nobody is gonna do that to me mm-hmm. so i like had best friends and all of that shit until i was old enough to be in my own place and although I don't feel like my family would have felt me, been mean to me, I honestly don't know how it would have gone if I was still living in my mom's house. Because I just don't know. Like, I didn't feel safe to do it. And there had to be a reason why I didn't feel safe to do it. And that was like 17, 18, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember like exactly. We age ourselves. <laughs> but it was like something about it was just like, this is your own thing. You don't need to, you know what I'm saying? Like, even the queer community, like, when I came out, people was like, where you been at? Like, you you grown. You born and raised here. You never been on a queer scene. And I was just really scared that, like, somebody would see me. You know what I'm saying? Like, my whole, this is my whole life here. So, like, a cousin, a friend of a friend, like, I saw a cousin at Pride. And he ran. 
when he saw me. And I felt so bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, damn, fam. Like, because I'm here with my whole squad. We rainbowed down from head to toe, having a great time. And you're afraid, you know what I'm saying, to be who you are and, like, you live in this whole life. And I just felt sad. Like, I never talked to my family or anything about it because I felt like, if he wanted to talk about it, yeah, that's his, that's be his, talking about yeah. it. But I was just like, damn. Like, and I felt like for me, but I just realized that it was a connection. It wasn't even like, you're a terrible person, but it's like, you are the bridge to the other side of this that if you run your mouth, like, so I can't let you see no more than you've seen. You see me here, and that's all you're going to see. So I didn't like <laughs> see him again. And um, he's out now, but like. Everyone does it in their own time, you know? Mm-hmm. But I'm sure he thinks back to that moment and, like, he ran away from his cousin and you were like, I'm a safe space. Like, I'm- But you didn't know that. Yeah. Like, and I wasn't as nice to gay boys as, like, I was to, like, other identities. Like, cis men, like, catch a lot of hell from me, even if they're queer, because sometimes that privilege just spills over and somebody needs to get checked. It's like, okay, I understand that you identify as a queer person, but like in this instant, like your privilege is like way big mm. and you need to like calm down. But like, so I wasn't the nicest. I wasn't the nicest. And I'll just be really, really honest about that. Like it took me a lot of maturing to just understand queerness. Like I want my... My nibblings, I call them, mm-hmm. to like grow up like knowing that like everything is on the table. You know what I'm saying? Like all of this shit is cool. You can talk to me about whatever. Like, cause there's so much, you know, it's like it's so complicated. Like identities are just complicated. Yeah. And like society shuts down certain ones and you're only supposed to be like this thing. And we can only think about the opposite of that. Like, no, we want to open this back up. But it's even bigger than that. Like, if we mm-hmm. can vision bigger than that. So, like, I don't want to be a straight person. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to have the power dynamic switch to where, like, as a black woman, I'm in charge now. And everybody else is on the bottom. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. because there's this idea that, like, queers want to be the straights. Or people of color want to be the whites. And it's just like actually everybody just wants to be a human that can do the things that they need and have the things that they need without it being like this hierarchy of oppression or privilege or whatever the fuck like i have so many thoughts yeah (laughs) yeah no and it's not about taking the place of who's on top it's about like us and i always say just like existing like just being able to exist as you are without that and i i think too with the you know, and I'm, I'm 38, so I'm, I mean, we're in the same the same age range. But I think the kid, I always say the kids. I think what's interesting with the kids is they're more aware of sexual identity, of gender identities. Of I wasn't like really aware of like different options. You know, I was uh, in a very heteronormative, grew up very with very heteronormative stuff. Like I didn't have I didn't have the language, I didn't have the media exposure, I didn't have any of that stuff. So I think what's cool now is the kids have that, but they also are now growing up and trying to figure that out. Like, but I came out at 23. I knew, I was like, I identify as a lesbian. I know this is how I identified. I had a lot of years to think about it. But now kids are able to say, like, I think I'm pansexual. Actually, I'm gay. I'm queer. I'm gender queer. I'm gender fluid. Like, they're able to have the tools to do that, which I think is really cool. But I also think it's cool to have 
adults that, you know, support that and say, like, okay, it's not, we're not going to judge, like, oh, you were this yesterday and you're this today. Like, I feel like some people get really judgy about that stuff. And I'm like, they're figuring it out the same way we as teenagers figured out a lot of things, not just, like, you know, our Mm -hmm. sexual identity, but, like, so many different things about ourselves. You're figuring it out. And one day you like this and the other day you don't like that, you know? Yeah. And these youngins is killing it. Like, I am proud and jealous at the same (laughs) fucking time. And I would like to think that we had, of course, something to do with the way that shit is shifting. But these babies don't give a fuck. They challenging their parents. They cussing out their teachers. They unfriending friends and kicking granddaddies out the circle. Like, they're doing things in a way that we weren't allowed to. Or that we didn't feel safe. To do, And I feel like every generation is opening it up a little mm. bit more for like the next generation. Because like the Meg Thee Stallions and the City Girls and the Doja Cat. Like y'all is out here fucking killing the game. Y'all owning y'all sexualities. Y'all saying fuck these niggas. Y'all saying fuck you pay me. Y'all saying we writing our own music. We're beautiful. We getting fake asses. We ain't getting no asses. We working out. We ain't working out. We being fat. Like just whatever the fuck it is. Like I just love to see it it's like proud and jealous that's such a good way because i'm always i always say like i'm a little i'm a little jealous i am a little jealous of the the youngins of the kids uh, but i'm also proud so i think that that's a good way to to phrase that like i'm so proud of so how far we've come just in my mm-hmm. lifetime and i still have lifetime to go so i, I can't wait to see what the next generation of the next generation brings mm-hmm. but i'm also a little jealous i'm very jealous <laughs> i'm very jealous because be i'm nice. just like you just looked your mama in the face and told her, I'm not talking back to you. I'm stating my needs and stating a boundary. So one, I would have got slapped across the room. um, Across the room under some furniture, probably. And like two, never would have thought to do it. I would never. Never would have even thought to do it. Like, it was just that program and that socialization. Like, you don't, you don't do that shit. Like, your whole well-being Everything that you have and need is being provided by this person. And if you upset them, then they could possibly not provide those things for you anymore. So it was just like too much to lose. But like these babies like, I ain't losing shit. I ain't losing nothing because it's actually against the law for you not to feed me. So play with me. You know what I'm saying? They really like calling people on their shit. They all in the schools telling these teachers, if this just about a check, baby, get up out of here. And it's just like mine blowing you got four-year-olds that are like tiktok millionaires you know what i'm saying like you just got like so like times are just changing and i'm like people just need to change with it and it's not where it needs to be by far you know what i'm saying there's still a lot of fighting that's like being done like but like acknowledging the progress that has happened just in the last 20 years since we've come out is is really cool and it's really exciting and i do want to ask you mentioned in your 20s uh, that you got married. I'm always curious because marriage has been a, a thing that I was, it was, you know, a society, not necessarily my parents because I think they didn't want to pay for a wedding, but I think society really pushed like you're a woman, you grow up and you marry a man. And then when you're like, oh, I actually don't want to marry a man, I, you know, then I'm like, I don't know if I want to get married and do I want the government involved in my shit? And like, what is, what does being married mean versus just being with somebody? Mm-hmm. Um, so I always ask people, you know, you got married. What was the decision behind that? And did you think about all these implications? Or was it just, you know, something that you did? Yeah, so I was in love with this girl that I grew up with. And um, if I'm being honest, I think our 
marriage was a last shot at saving our relationship. Um, we was just going through some hard shit and it really even shocked me that she wanted to marry me because of the shit we was going through. I was just like, are you sure? You know, and it was a whole to do. Like it was a beautiful engagement and whole to do before it was even a thing to have a whole to do. So I was just like, yes, but even in that moment, I knew that I shouldn't, but I, I loved her. You know what I'm saying? And I was just like, if I don't do this or if I don't stay in this or if I don't get married, like I'm, this is my only shot. This is my only chance. I'm not going to have love again. I'm not going to be able to find like my Prince Charming, somebody who even wants to fucking marry me. But marriage never was a thing that I gave a fuck about. I think in my younger years, all the girls were like picking out wedding dresses and flowers and cakes and shit. And I just like stuff. You know what I'm saying? I don't really have nothing <laughs> like to do. I want that air fryer. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I just like some stuff. I'm like, if that's what we get, we can get some money, get some cards and shit. But like, marriage disenfranchises poor people. It's not even a good idea to get married if you're poor. Because those incomes, like, you can't get no help. You can't get no assistance. Like, and it's just this idea that a two-income household or two people in a household is automatically a two-income household mm-hmm. that, like, can, can sustain and shit. But like, I don't know if I'll ever get married again. I'm very, um, some people say pessimistic, but I'll say realistic. Mm -hmm. I don't trust people on a very, like, basic level of you never know who people are. Like, I expect humans to be humans. Even, I mean, friends, family, parents, like, I feel like there are pieces of us that we don't share. Mm -hmm. Like, and people cannot want to admit that if they want to, but there's shit about me that nobody will ever know unless the fuck I want them to know it. You know what I'm saying? So that darkness is what I'm afraid of. And some people's darkness is much darker than other people. And all of these documentaries on, like, Snapped and people doing a double murder suicides and all of that shit like killing a partners or being cheaters have a whole other families i am so content being alone that i would be pissed off if i invited somebody into that very safe space and they blew it up and so i'm so fucking worried about that so i got you know i got some little dips and i ain't saying that the universe can't sit me down and be like actually we sent you a person you couldn't say no if you wanted to that's how perfect this person is but like mostly i'm just like I feel like I'm getting to know the people that I know every day on a reoccurring basis. And maybe humans can restore my faith, but like at the moment, I don't I don't trust people. But that's also okay. Like it doesn't end goal doesn't have to be to be booed up or partnered up for like your end goal. I think it, you know, we have a very realistic goal of survival, uh, like at the baseline of everything. And then after that is I think happiness yeah. is what I'm looking for. Like I want to sure. survive and be alive and then I want to be happy. And whatever that looks like, whether that's with a partner, partners, no partner, I don't think that's the definition of happiness. Like right. I don't think that's that's where the line is. Yeah, I'm a because I'm gonna be happy. You know what I mean? Like, I it's been a long time. Like, I haven't been getting into serious relationships. Of course, I have people that I see and I date. I'm a flirty, sexual person. Like, that's just kind of what it is. But my happiness is not dependent on other people, and it used to be. And that's taught that you find a person and they make you happy, and not mm-hmm. that you're happy. And then you find somebody else happy and then y'all just happy as fuck together. But it's like, no, you need this job to be happy. You need to be making this certain amount of money and then you're going to find your happiness. Like, it's always a search for happiness. Like, it's not internal. Like, it's yeah. not a... It's, it's a, a decision, really. Well, it's that, that other person... That another person can... I hate that phrase, make you... 
you know? And it's not somebody else's responsibility to make me happy. It just feels like a lot of pressure. It feels like a lot to expect of another human that's having their own human experience for them to drop everything and be like your source Mm -hmm. of joy. And it's like, yeah, they can add to it. You know what I'm saying? Finding somebody to do life with is dope. But like, I don't want to do life for somebody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll do like it a, with you, but I ain't want to do it. Doing life sounds like a prison. <laughs> it sounds so nasty. <laughs> but I want some kids or something. Like, you know, maybe a dog. <laughs> I don't know. But like, if romantically, I have a romantic plan of things that I want to do. Like, I want to travel the world with my partner and like have sex on balconies and eat, eat delicious food. And I have a plan for like being single. I want to like have a group of old lady gang and we go. And the plan is pretty much the same. We're still going to have sex on balconies <laughs> and eat delicious food. But like in no way is it tied to I can only have this joy if I find this person. It's like, no, actually, I got a plan for if I have children, I want to travel with my babies. Like, I want to get an RV and I want to travel the country and I want to line these school lessons up with places we visit and shit. Like, so I'm so open to all of the possibilities that I feel like I can't be disappointed. I love that. And I love that that will be the ending of this episode because I wanted to, I wanted to end it on a high note. And I don't think we can top that. I really don't. So thanks so much. Keep thanks for having me, Amanda. Being here and uh, let everyone know where they can find you on social media or whatever else you want to let people know about. I am Shakita T Griffin, but you can still find me with Kita with a Q on Facebook, Instagram. I got a Twitter, but I don't know how to use it. Yeah, and I got a little YouTube channel, Kita with a Q. You can check me out. I'll be in these streets. I got some shows coming up. Uh, if you follow me on those social medias, you can hear about them because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll throw it all in the liner notes. Thanks so much for uh, doing being a part of the Near and Queer to My Heart family. My TV sit on the fabric. Yeah. I don't know. I don't need
and so I sent him some photos um, that he could sell for things. They're not exactly indecent. You can't see it all the time. Um, I just got on like a tight sweater. You know what I'm saying? Like you can see my nipple a little bit, a little, like it's poking out. I'm sure I'm gonna hook up
I ain't seen these children in years. But on Facebook, I'm like, happy birthday, God child. <laughs> we hood. We wasn't at no church. Ain't nobody get baptized. I ain't find no fucking papers. So if something happens to the parents, I take the kids up for grabs. I don't know. Somebody gonna have to get them. Somebody gonna have to get them. Cause Jane, Jane was saying earlier that kids ain't shit, and I agree. Maybe not her exact words. Um, but when your child asks for a new mom, um, that's fucked up. But damn, um, I want you to get a new mom too. I'm having to spend more but my niece, she's wonderful. She's very sweet. She's very cute. She says, TT, when I get big, when I grow up, I want to be big, but not big as you. Oh. <laughs> well, you're not about to get very much bigger than you are right now. You <laughs> but I'm going to leave y'all with this little situation. I'm, I used to have long hair, and now I'm a bald headed hoe. Um, Woo! So when I had long hair, I was put my hair up in a ponytail looking nigga in his eyes letting him know I was about to suck the shit out of his dick. That's just what it was, okay, bro? But now I have to do something else. I have to take my glasses off very slow. Look them in the eyes, close them dramatically. You heard that? But right after that, I had to be like, put the dick in my hand, because I can't, I can't do the dick. I can't have a problem with it, they put it in my hand, all right? I'm getting really cute, thanks for having me, y'all. Thank you to Kita with a Q for sharing her world with us. Special thank you to Ryan Golub for creating our music. Social media with us. Say hey. Connect with us. We miss y'all. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Near and Queer to My Heart and on Twitter at Queer to My Heart. If you're old school, shoot us an email. Near and Queer to My Heart at gmail.com. Until next time, thank y'all.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.